Christians, thanks for tuning in today to the show. We really appreciate it. We'll be with you for the next hour. Hope you can stay with us during that time and add to the conversation. This is a live call-in show, and I'm going to be giving you the numbers in just a moment. Uh, I just want to introduce our other host, Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? I'm here this morning, Mike. Good. We're, we're glad we can be here with you today. <clears throat> I hope that uh, you're staying well and uh, keeping your spiritual life active during this time that Things are not at, an, at anything close to normal. A lot of people, you know, these kind of crises, Gary, they either throw you one way or the other, it seems like. That's maybe how, what they're designed for, as it were, to, to push you one way or the other. But we're here with you, and we're here with you live, and we'd be glad to take your call. We, you don't have to. We're going to bring up a couple subjects uh, unless you call in, but you don't have to talk about that. Probably as you, if you've listened to the show, you know that's true, but maybe you're new to the show. But we'd like to invite you to, to talk about anything that's on your mind. And you can reach We Are Just Christians at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the call-in number to reach the show. We'll put you on the air, and we're not going to uh, try to humiliate or embarrass you or bait you or anything like that. We just want to have a conversation. So you can ask your question or make your comment about whatever you may be thinking. We don't limit our invitation in any way to those who are churchgoers or believers or anything like that. We are glad for any of you to call, and uh, we'll be glad to talk with you about whatever spiritual subject you have in mind. Perhaps it's a problem you've had in the past in religion or a question or somebody's mistreated you, whatever it may be. We, maybe you would like to discuss some current topic in the news, we'd be glad to talk with you about that too. So you can reach us at 772-340-1590. If you can't call in that way or aren't, aren't able to, it used to be, Gary, we gave out the text number because people would text. Uh, they weren't at home sometimes, but I think most people are probably home this morning. We're, we're probably one of the few churches in, in the county or two or three counties that are still having services on Sunday morning although we have maybe a quarter of what we usually do, and we're all spaced out through the building and so forth. But uh, most people are at home. But in any case, we're going to give out the text number, 772-260-6120 is one of the text numbers. You can reach me. That's Mike Schmidt at that number, 772-260-6120. Or you can reach Gary Jones at 772-260-6220, 772 2606220. You can text us during the show, before the show, after the show, during the week, and we'll try to respond to you in some way. Uh, we, we try to deal with those texts in some way on the air, maybe not as good as we should, but <clears throat> if you want to text while we're on the air, that's fine. Maybe that's the easiest way for you to get in touch with us. If you want to text during the week and ask a question or make a comment or criticism of the show, please feel free to do so. 772 6120 and 6220. Well, Mike, we might want to remind our listeners that <coughs> basically we're here to study and understand the Bible and help our listeners do that as well. Uh, John 12:48. I keep telling everybody, mark this in your in your uh, in your Bible. He who rejects me and does not receive my words as that which judges him, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That's what Jesus tells us. Right, and that's why we emphasize going back to the Bible and being just a Christian instead of being caught up in so much of what we would call Catholic or Protestant theology or Christendom, whatever the word you may be, or being a Muslim or anything like that. We're trying to go back to the Scripture because we believe from reading the Scriptures that they have, they have uh, the timeless answers to the problems that we face. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said. We seem to think today people say we're living in unprecedented times. Well, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. So I'm going to take his word for it, and I, I see a lot of parallels, and, and it's just that people don't treat things the same way they used to in certain eras of history. Well, I, I'm going to say nothing that, new that in sun. a limited sense, <coughs> we are living in unprecedented times because we have tools to study the Scripture 
that man has not ever had in the history of man. We have, we have search engines. We have basically digital copies of the scripture. We have things that we can look at, dictionaries and things that we can access in fractions of a second that we never had before. Right. That's true. The, the, the other side of that, though, is the people's ability to memorize things and learn things from hearing right. them has gone down proportionally to however much <coughs> we can access them instantly. I know that's been true for me. I used to be able to stand up and give an hour-long talk and, and be able to go from this patch to that patch to the other and just kind of flip through while I'm talking and, and so forth, and it's much more difficult today. You say, well, that's because you're 50 years older. That could be. But it's also because I rely more on my Bible search programs and, and things like that than I did before when before all I had was a pile of books or my Bible open in front of me. I had to, I had to, my mind knew I had to learn it right there, and I did learn it right there. Yeah, and I read some of the authors so. that uh, wrote excellent criticisms and excellent commentaries on Scripture back in the late 1800s, and you realize they did not have any of those kind of tools to work with. No, they they were really doing a labor there yes. to, to some degree, and and it was because they can can re retain so much of this knowledge in their minds. Our minds are not emptier, we're not stupider or smarter. We just have focused different areas of our abilities in different ways. And I'm not saying that's bad or good. I'm just saying it's what it is. But we, I guess what what Solomon, how Solomon would apply this in some way. For example, there's nothing new under the sun is that, for example, there's this controversy in churches about meeting in person or whether you can have a meeting over the Internet or whether you can take communion over the Internet or do it together and all that. Well, it's pretty clear in the Bible that God communicated his word both in person through the personal speech of the apostles and prophets, and he also communicated by letters that were written down and that they were supposed to read. We talked about this, I think, last week or week before. Both of those are binding and authoritative by God, yet there's a difference in how they manifest themselves to people. And um, you see this, well, I'll give you an example maybe early on. In the Bible, God told Adam, be, you know, not to eat of any, <clears throat> any of the trees. He could eat of all the trees of the garden except the one in the middle of the garden, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, then later he creates Eve. We don't know how much later, but he creates Eve. And, and, and Satan comes to Eve and says, so what's God told you? Has God said you can't eat of all the trees? And she said, no, he said he could, we can't eat of the one in the middle of the garden. Well, who told her that? And she said, and, but she added something to it. Nor shall you touch it lest you die. God never said they couldn't touch it. But she added that to it. Now, I don't know whether... I'm, I'm a little bit uh, unsure of whether to take that, that she was actually correctly interpreting what God said or not. I think not because God didn't say don't touch it. He said don't eat of the fruit of it. Okay. Well, that, but, that could, you know. But, but who, told kind of her that? who told her that? Did God tell her that or did Adam tell her well, that? Well, that kind of implies that she had to reach out and take it to eat it. You know, you don't generally walk up to but an apple tree I, and I take a bite out what of it. What I'm apples. saying, though, is... Uh, God didn't say don't touch it. He said don't. He, can you touch the bark of it, the leaves of it? Sure. So, the, I'm, but who told her that? Well, apparently, I would take from the story. You know, there's there's room for discussion here that that Adam told Eve after she was created. Now, this is the rule that we can eat all this stuff, but we can't eat that tree. So, was that binding on Eve? Did Eve have to do that because she heard it from Adam? The answer is yes. She did. She certainly it came from God. She understood that she had to obey it. So God can communicate in different ways. So we can, we have ways of uh, communicating with each other. I barely go, ever go to the store without having to text my wife, even take pictures and stuff, and say, "Is this the cheese you wanted? Uh, is this meat okay to buy or whatever?" I'm always taking pictures and sending her texts while we're gone. We're communicating. Now, they couldn't do that even 25 years ago or less. That's not the same as if she were standing next to me and we were talking about it, though. And I'm not going to pretend that it is. So, yes, there's nothing new under the sun. The Bible can, the, and the point I would make of that for our listeners, going back to our original 
thing is that there's the, nothing new in the scripture that might be new to us but there's nothing new in the scripture there's no new circumstance that isn't covered by the moral principles and teachings of the bible is the point i'm making right. we don't have to ha uh, we don't have to have some new teaching of scripture to be able to know how to act during an epidemic or a crisis or an ill <coughs> or an illness or whatever the case may be and the same moral principles that applied to daniel and Isaiah applied to, to Neil Armstrong on the moon, okay? Just because he was an astronaut in outer space and Isaiah wasn't doesn't mean that the same principles of the Bible didn't apply. So that's what Solomon means, and we find that more of these situations we think are so brand new. It's often used by people to, in, to really, in the back of their minds of the image, the message is created and therefore, since it's new, we aren't bound by the old ways of thinking and doing. And moral restrictions and all that are out the window. But, of course, I don't think Christians ought to believe any such thing as that. They're not. Human behavior remains the same, whether we're in outer space or whether we're living in a cave in Mesopotamia. Human behavior is still governed by the moral laws that God made when he made the universe or, or that exist because of his character. And that's what this is about, this show is about. It's about understanding how the first century Christians were governed by the same laws and principles and, by, and guided by the love of God that we are. We're not any different in that regard. And we can use what the scriptures teach to know how to live here in the 21st century regardless of the circumstances. You know, the moral laws of the universe and my behavior and what God expects of me did not change in January when the coronavirus appeared in the United States or whatever it was. They didn't change when President Trump issued orders and edicts or when Governor DeSantis says this or that. The laws of God haven't changed at all with regard to human behavior. And yet some people kind of think that they do, okay, change because we're living in modern times that are different in the old moral laws the old laws are not the same well that that's that's tragedy. It's a fallacy well it's a fallacy but it's also a tragedy mike because we discussed last week a little bit <coughs> about christian character <coughs> and i was uh i intend to do some more on christian character but we discussed controlling the tongue not lying telling the truth doing what you say. Let me give the numbers one more time, Gary, okay. before you jump. I'm sorry about that. Uh, the, if you want to reach the show, you can call We Are Just Christians at 772-340-1590, 340-1590, or you can text us at 772-260-6120 at or 6220. Okay, Gary, go ahead. Well, From basically, basically I was just going to say that uh, I had intended to do some more things. I'm not quite prepared to go further than this, but I wanted to remind everyone that's listening that we have lost a lot of that moral character that we've, we've discussed here. We've lost the idea that you should not lie, that you should tell the truth. We've lost the idea in many places that you should always do what you say you will do. Uh, all these things have, have basically... Uh, come to an end in some parts of our society, which, which is tragic. Basically, it's, it's caused us a lot of problems in, in that respect. Uh, and one of the things that's a problem with our world today is, is basically we're losing those moral values. And I wish I could go into a little bit more detail with this, but, but I want to impress upon our listeners that this is what the problem with society is today that we are losing that uh, imperative to do all that proceeds from our lips, as God, as uh, as the Bible says in uh, the Old Testament text. I think it's Numbers one, Numbers thirty-two twenty-four. We talked about this last week. He says, "Do what has proceeded out of your mouth." We, right. We've lost that, right? And in losing that. You know, one of the things that I pointed out that we lost, my, my father was a uh, building contractor, uh, and he never had contracts signed. He, it was word of mouth and a shake of a hand, and he did it. That's gone in many places. Oh, yeah. Can't do that. Uh, uh, you would be 
not only wouldn't you do it, you wouldn't trust the other person that if you shook their hand that they would live up to their part of it. You you might be held liable for this, that, and the other. There's no honor in any of that. So, uh, yes, that whole thing is gone, and it's a real shame. Dishonesty and and so forth is one of the reasons why modern life is, is difficult. It's one of the main reasons, I think, why modern life is just so cumbersome and difficult. Because everywhere you go doing everything, everything has to be enforced with a legal contract of some sort. And, and it still doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter what contracts people sign or what they do. We think we'll solve it with a contract. But, and again, and again there's still a – people still won't do it. So it makes life miserable because people have no integrity. They speak rashly. They say this or that rashly without thinking it through. And then when once they speak rashly, they don't want to be held accountable for their words. They want to get out of it. So life becomes a real chore. And well, just like we said, Ephesians 4.25, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. Uh, in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Uh, in Ephesians 4, and, and they're all together Verse 21, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. It it goes into every part of our dealing with our fellow man. Well, Gary, in in that verse, you you hear, you have all of the um, different ways of speaking, bitterness, wrath, anger, evil speaking put away. And and, uh, he says just before that in verse 30, after he tells them not to lie, but let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Right. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. People have all these misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. I think the connection Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit has one main job, and that's communication. He is God's means of communicating to man. And when you use your gift of communication that God gave you, made in God's image you are, and he gave you this gift of communication, when you use that for evil purposes or for lying or deception, you grieve the Spirit of God that he gave us, which is God's never told us a lie. He's always told us only the truth. And he's tried to say things that would help us and and be are, that are good for us. So that's why he says, that no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. That's how our speech is supposed to be. Right. And when we don't do that, all these other things enter in, then there is nothing but grief for God's spirit because he made us to give to use our gift of speech and communication. For those purposes, we use it for the opposite of that, to advance our own causes and to deceive people. And well, so the, it, the other thing I wanted to say is, is when he says, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor and let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. When you do this, when you do these things, when you speak the truth with your neighbor, when you do not uh, speak corrupt words, what are you doing? You're being spiritual. Right. That is that is the definition of being spiritual. It's you know Being spiritual is not some meditative state in which you do what you want to do being spiritual is following what god says for you to do which i believe is a misunderstanding that's out there in the religious world pardon me Uh, i'm getting my tang all tangled up here mike uh in the religious world that that we've put aside that true definition of what spiritual is yes and that's the problem with it we it's spirit then we get to think it's whatever we are you know it's interesting gary about what, we, what humans think are bad sins or what humans think are bad things as opposed to what the Bible or God calls bad things. Uh, but in Revelation 21.8, in, in talking about uh, the end judgment, it says, uh, 21.8 says, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Right. That was all my... those other things, we can talk about each one of those. The last one he mentioned is all liars, those who are deceiving and deceptive 
uh, will find the, their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Well, I, I'm impressed with uh, the company that liars are put with. Yeah, that's that's part of what I'm getting at, yes. Liars are put in a company with murderers, sexual immorality, immoral, and sorcerers <laughs> and idolaters. Well, uh, you know, as well as cowards. When you look at what, uh, uh, hang on a second, I'll find the verse in the book of John. I think it's chapter, uh, John verse 8, or John chapter 8, um, uh, where the, the, Jesus is talking about Satan. It says about him uh, in, in John eight forty four, and when he's speaking of the Pharisees who wouldn't believe Jesus even when he performed miracles for them. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks from himself, for he is a liar and the father of it. So you, you connect murderer and lying. Jesus connected murderers and liars right there. Satan is both because lies are tend to kill and they tend to bring death so jesus put them together ironically enough in john 8:44 it's um it's just a lot different okay it's just a lot different than people think it is what god thinks of morality yes different kinds of morality uh it, it's 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 amazing to me that we 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 go back to passages like numbers 32 it's, this is an off, almost an offhand comment in telling them how they should behave. He says, look at the context in Numbers 32, 24. Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what has proceeded out of your mouth. Right there along with what you should do is build your cities, build your houses, keep your families, do what you have to do to make a living and what? Do what has proceeded out of your mouth. That goes right there together with with the same. So look at what it go. Look at what these things go with. Uh, it, it's 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 saddening to me to see what our society has come to. When I look at advertisements, and sometimes sometimes I'll buy a product based <coughs> on the advertisement I saw and get the product home and try to make it work, and it works nothing like what it was advertised. And, and that was a misleading advertisement. Mm -hmm. It was deceptive. In fact, it was a lie. And we don't look at things like that anymore. It's buyer beware. Okay. It's always been that and but, still is to a large degree. But um, but what God's saying what, is it really shouldn't be that e Even way. if you go on like Amazon or whatever and you look at a product and you, start, you see a product has 1,200 reviews and it's got a 4.5 rating, um, that's helpful, but you still better read the reviews. And what you'll find is a lot of the reviews they know are, ma are made by Chinese bots, you know, that are just posting phony reviews. They've tried to correct it or whatever, but do you trust it completely? And the answer is no, because the people that are doing the, the, the re, uh, what do you call it? Recalibrating of the, of the, reviews are human beings who have a tendency to be just as dishonest as the other people and, and so and they're and they're monetarily motivated to do that, that that's the interesting <coughs> thing well, i think i mentioned this to you on the way over here <coughs> it's interesting that people want to want to tell us how bad people are and evil corporations are which of course are composed of people and other things like that and how bad people are so we need uh bigger government to fix that and those same kind of people then want to put more powerful government people, government laws and officials in place and give them more power, ignoring the fact that the people that they put in power are humans and prone to dishonesty exactly like the people that they're trying to fix. That's why our Constitution, to get into the political side of it, ha has checks and balances against people exercising too much power, which we're struggling with right now, but... You, you right. can't solve the problem of dishonest people by giving more power to other people. It, it's an absurdity on its face, you see. You're, you're always going to have the buyer beware, 
And yes, and then the other thing comes into play as far as Christian character, and I think it's a verse that you bring up occasionally here, I have brought up occasionally. What do you do when you are mistreated or taken advantage of? Well, the verse you read, Psalm 115, you said your dad used to quote, says uh, or your dad liked was uh, you, uh, the, swears the righteous to man swears to his, to his own, own hurt, hurt. And does not and change. Does not change. He, 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 if he makes a deal, even if it turns out that it costs him, he lives up to his word and doesn't change just because the deal went bad or because he's, gonna now, he's now what he thought was going to make money is going to lose money. He, he keeps his word. Now, that's the Christian response to the fact that people are dishonest. First of all, you should be wise as serpents, you see, and harmless as doves, Jesus said. But then you have to also realize that in life you're going to get taken. People are going to mistreat you. You're going to be lied to. How do you respond to that? That's, a, the, that's really a harder test of Christian character sometimes, how you respond to those kind of things. Well, some of the, now that you mentioned it, and it's one of, one of my favorite, I guess it's one of my favorite psalms, is Psalm 15. Mike, it's a short psalm. It's only five verses. But look what it tells us. Verse 1 opens up with, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle and who may dwell in your holy hill? What's he telling them? He's telling them, this is, what follows is a description of the people that will abide with God. That's exactly what this is saying. Who may abide in your tabernacle and who may dwell in your holy hill? And he says in verse 2, He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. What were we talking about? He who does not backbite with his tongue nor does evil to his neighbor nor does he take up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised or looked down upon. But he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. That is a very short but concise summary of a Christian character. One of the things that I was going to add in a later lesson, I haven't gotten around to it yet. Some Someday maybe somebody will give me a round to it and I'll get it. But, uh, but I think that's Psalm 15. If ever there was something that should be posted on your refrigerator, maybe that's one of them. Well, it's the definition really in, in practicality of integrity. Yes. Uh, uh, where a person can be said to have character and integrity. And we meet some of these people from time to time. Uh, and yet it's not common, and I, I think it's less common in, you know, there's a lot of reasons to be thankful we live in the society we do at the time that we do, and I'm a real proponent of that. But everything has a negative side to it. One of the negative sides of living in a prosperous or even decadent society is that it produces a lack of integrity in people because the motivating factors for our behavior and our thinking tend to be social standing and monetary values. We tend to value those things or what other people think of us, what looks good. And when you begin to value those things too highly, then you are very, very much prone to dishonesty and low character. And this is what we're seeing all around us. I really uh, feel a great deal of sympathy for young people, although they are part of the problem because they've not seen the kind of people that you and I saw growing up of, the, of, of a generation where a handshake was a, as good as a contract. They haven't seen that kind of person very often in their life. All they've seen is lawyers and legalese and suing and billboards about getting your cut. And that's all they've grown up with. And don't ever let anybody take advantage of you. Get yourself a lawyer. Uh, this is the way they've grown up. And everything that is done that needs to be litigated in some fashion so that everybody can get what's coming to them in some way, uh, they've not seen it. And I feel sorry for them. And, and they, they, don't, they, they don't have an understanding in, in a personal way of the beauty of that kind of character. Now, it wasn't universal back in the time when you're 
father and my father were young men or when they were in their prime. It wasn't universal then either. That's why your dad stood out. That's why my dad stood out because he was a man of his word and a man of honor. My grandfather and grandmother, they were that kind of people. So I'm fortunate to have had those people in my life. I can look now. Have I always imitated them? No, the answer is no, I have not. But I have something I can look at and say, yeah, you failed because you didn't live up to that kind of character. Young people don't have that kind of compass as easily available to them. Well, often sometimes I think we miss the parallel between our own family and, and what we grew up with and our relationship to God. I had a relationship with my father. I loved him. He loved me. And because I loved him, I did not want to disappoint him. If we love God, we don't want to disappoint God. It's not just a matter of, am I going to be saved, though it may start that way. Am I going to avoid punishment? And and there was an element of that with my father, too, because I knew he would punish me if I did something wrong. But it was more, as time went on, an idea that I did not want to disappoint him because I loved him. Right. Uh, and uh, it's, it's hard to explain that to, to people who, I guess, do not see God as a benevolent God, even though bad things happen and we have to deal with them. He gives us a lot of things that we don't deserve. That's right. All we have to do is look for them. Well, you know, Gary, I want to um, give the numbers. I want to make a comment about that. If I can remember it after I take 30 seconds to give the numbers, 772-340-1590 is the call-in number here for We Are Just Christians. We'd be glad to have your call about this or any other subject, 772-340-1590. You may text us at 772-260-6120 and 6220. What I was going to say is uh, <clears throat> about this is people say, well, yeah, you, uh, I'm a young person. I haven't seen these kind of people in my life. So then that becomes their excuse. So they get to be weak and cowardly and have no character because they haven't seen a good example. Or I come from a broken home or whatever the case may be. I used to listen when she was on the radio to Laura Schlesinger, Dr. Laura. And I remember one day, whatever you think of her, I thought this call was, and I wish I could reproduce it in my head correctly young lady called in she was commiserating about all of the terrible things she had done immoral things she had done sexually and otherwise and basically she began to, and so Dr. Laura was asking her about her family and upbringing she was well you know this person that person I mean, she, she mentioned how much she loved her grandmother and this that and the other but she was talking about how her mother had done this her father had done this and her boyfriend did this and and she never had anybody to be a good example of her, nobody to look up to. And Dr. Laura paused and said, well, I don't, I just heard you say you had a grandmother that was a good woman. Well, yeah. And what about anybody else in your life? Well, when she pressed her, this young lady had several other people that she right. looked up to, teachers. She, Dr. Laura says, you mean there's, no grandmother, no grandfather, no aunt, no uncle, no cousin, no teacher, no one, no neighbor that ever sh- ever lived a good life near you? Well, 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 yeah, of course there were. She goes, the problem here is, yes, you've had a tough time, but you've had plenty of people to look at to see what to do. You have simply chosen the easy path to follow. It's much easier to get your way to follow your mother who's immoral or not a good person than it is to follow your grandmother who wasn't that way. It's harder to choose that path. Now, of course, and that just struck me as being so true for almost every single one of us, those who are listening to me, including myself, who want to look it around and say, well, we haven't had the advantages of somebody else and nobody in my family was this and my mother was a bad person and my father was a absent, he wasn't even around. You mean to tell me you've had no one you could look to? Notice what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 11. He tells these Gentile Corinthians, Corinth was one of the worst cities in the ancient world for immorality. And a lot of these people either had been slaves, were slaves, they didn't have, they had broken families. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Paul says, well, yeah, he's trying to say, and I'll extrapolate, you may not have anybody in your life that you can point to that's good, but you can look at me. 
Because I'm looking at Christ. What's that tell me then? I can look at Christ too. I can see how I should act. That's why we want to go back and be just Christians and go back to the Bible because exactly. we have the person and the people to imitate. If we look, if you want to look at them, you can know how you ought to act. And you're not imitating Christ if it's only your idea of what he does. No. You have to look to look the scriptures. It's the, the only say. source there is for his life and a description of what he did. That's there exactly are no right. others. That's exactly right. People say, I don't believe in the Gospels, but I love Christ. Well, if you don't believe in the Gospels, uh, you have no way of knowing what Christ said or did. Okay, so don't tell me how much you love him because you don't know anything about him if you don't believe in the Gospels but, but, uh, or the Bible. But well, you know, not, not just the Gospels. It's, it's, it's the whole Bible. The yes. whole Bible. You, you don't have any, because Jesus believed what the Scripture said, the Old, the old Testament for sure. Well, you, Gary, it's, it's amazing to me, though, down through life, is to see people, and you meet them, not, in, not infrequently, who had terrible upbringings by immoral people, and yet they are people of high character. And, and they, have they have seen, it, when, they, when they lived with immorality, dishonesty, disingenuousness, when they lived with the people who are betrayed them, they didn't learn the lesson that was obvious to learn, that is, that it's okay to do these things. They learned the other lesson, just like people go to the penitentiary, to jail, and we think somehow going to jail is going to fix them. Some people in jail, maybe most, learn how to be a better crook, don't they? Yes. They learn how to be a better criminal not to get caught. And then there are those, not an insignificant number, I, I don't imagine, who learn what I did was wrong and I need to change, and they learn how to beat the system, uh, to, to beat their background, to overcome their background, I'm trying to say. Which one do you as want to do and I'm asking our listeners I'm asking myself and Gary which one do you want to do and, and which one are you going to do it's so much harder to live a moral good life because you do fail from time to time and f uh, that's the hard part is keep doing the right thing even after you've failed and not just give up on the whole or when you've encountered some wicked person who mistreats you for doing what's good. What's your response to that? You give up. You encounter some religious person who's evil. Well, just going to give up on God because I met a religious person who's evil. Rather than learning the real lesson is that person wasn't following God. Follow God. Imitate Christ, he says here. Right? We, don't, we, want, we want to take the easy way out because it makes us feel better for ourselves. This is human nature. And it's... Uh, it's why we saw the behavior we did at the beginning of this epidemic uh, when people began to hoard things and rather than share with other people. They acted out of fear and panic, and they, they acted immorally, and then they tried to resell it, you know. Um, some of them are caught, some of them are not. Huh? Some are. Uh, and, you know, I don't care if people buy something low and sell it high. That's not the point I'm making. But they were just being deceptive to their neighbors and to themselves in this. They weren't thinking... Uh, for the wealth about the welfare of others, the only thing about making a buck in some way that isn't good behavior. There's nothing wrong with making a profit or selling something that people want. I don't believe in pri that price gouging is some terrible evil, but I do believe that just greedily hoarding up everything so others can't have it uh, is not a good thing to do. Rather than sharing, Jesus says, "Share. If you receive, share. Give. You give, and it'll be given more to you. God gives seed to the sower." And and so, um, in any event, I guess we could get back into that kind of thing. But but there are ways, there are examples out there that we can see. If you want to see them, the examples of good people, even in the age we live in, are there for you to see if you want to see it. If you want to focus on the bad people and let that be an excuse for you, guess what you'll find? Well, That's that what you're going to see. Well, and to me, that seems what the media would likes to do is look at the bad people who claim to be Christian and then criticize all Christians because they endeavor to do what God says and yet fail sometimes. Well, well and that's 
I, that's not anything particularly new. It's just pretty widespread right. today. Well, and, and part of the problem there, Gary, and not disagreeing with you at all, but part of the problem there is there's so many uh, Christians who have made a mockery of Christ on television, on the radio, with their behavior out seeking. I think Jim Baker's out there now wanting people to send them all their cash that they got from the government stimulus checks and stuff. Well, how does that work? I mean, how, how does that going to play with people? Should, is it a good thing? No. He's been a crook since the since before he got on the air, I'm sure. He didn't learn it when he got on the air. And he's going to be a crook till he draws his last breath unless something over something changes this man. So is it any wonder? That's why God warns us about bringing reproach upon the name of Christ, bringing shame to the name of Christ. It's what happens when people who call themselves Christians act so reprehensibly. And um, we just better hope that that isn't what our life is doing. More than hope, we need to act in such a way. But you're right. Now then, though, the, the media then trumpets this as the, as, as the only case of true Christians they can find. They will ignore every other case of good that they can, uh, that they can find and see. They will ignore the generosity of people who call themselves Christians all over this country. And any time there's a crisis or a disaster, the overwhelming number of people who are giving are motivated by the love of God through Christ to do that. They ignore those kind of things. Also, what doesn't play in the press, Gary, is the ordinary good that's done by ordinary people every day that's unseen and can't be quantified. Yes. That you and I see in this church here, for example, that we see among the lives of people we know, the ordinary people, the untold amount of good and kindness and selflessness that's shown by those ordinary Christians who never get any play, like Jim Baker or Tammy Faye or, or uh, uh, whoever the rest of them are. I don't even know. Jerry Falwell and the rest of them. They never get any press like that. But that's where the enormous amount of good is coming from. And uh, all of that is seen by God but ignored by men. So yes. put, put, down your, put, put the right kind of glasses on. You'll see the, you'll see the truth. Well, I was looking for a passage. You, you mentioned a minute ago that this has been going on for a long time. And there's even an account of this in the Bible. Basically, when David sinned with Bathsheba, uh, Nathan said to him, you are the man, telling him that. And yet, and I'm still looking for it. I'm, I'm close, I think. But he said, by doing this, you have given occasion to the unbelievers, basically to blaspheme God. He said, he said to David, by doing this, you have given occasion to the unbelievers to blaspheme God. It's, that's loosely the word, and I'm looking for the, the exact passage. Um, it, well, the account of that is in Second Samuel, Samuel 12. 12. Um, let me see if I can see it here. Uh, he says, you, and basically he tells David, you did this thing secretly. Verse 14, 2 Samuel 12, verse 14. 14. However, because of this deed, you have given, you given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child who is born to you shall also surely die. Yeah. So the, you've given occasion to the enemies to blaspheme. And so it, this has been going on for a long time. Anytime we sin against God, we give what? Not only do we sin against God, but we give occasion to the enemies. Right, and and the, the New Testament mentions these same, um, these same kinds of things that happen with when you look at the idea of blasphemy. Let's see if I can find the the, case, the verse I'm thinking of in the New Testament. Um, hang on, there's a bunch but, of. But but basically, Mike, I think people see what they want to see, and hear what they want to hear. Wasn't there a Simon Garfunkel song about that? Yeah, the boxer. Man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. One of my favorite songs ever. And, Man and hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. That's right. And so I, I see that so often with the scripture that someone wants to believe or see the scripture that they want to see but does not want to see something else that God says that may restrict or modify or tell them something else that they would have to do that they shouldn't do, that they don't want to do. That happens so much, and, and I've seen it so often. 
Well, he gives an, one passage that comes up in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 6. Uh, Paul says, let, let as many as bond servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. So um, he says even about servants, even slaves and what they would be are servants here, that they need to give honor to their masters so that the name of God is not blasphemed because here's a Christian slave who doesn't act honorably. E even the, he tells wives in in, uh, first in Titus chapter 2 that the young women should be taught by the older women to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, good obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. The one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So there's the, no, can't speak evil of you. Yeah, I think he says in another place that uh, the woman who is married to an unbeliever should, by her chaste conduct, show him how right. how he how that should how she should behave first peter 3 1 through 6 that's right. right and and by that win him over to christ right so there when you when you are as a christian when you do wicked things and act just like the people around you who do not believe in christ you cause god's name to be blasphemed it's a serious thing there's a burden um i've often heard people kind of imply that it's easy you should become a Christian because life will be easier for you. I don't know about that. Maybe in some respect it is because you don't have you don't have the consequences of living in immorality. Living an immoral life has some bad consequences. Living a wicked life and not treating your mate properly and treating other people dishonorably, being dishonest has its own set of consequences. But becoming a Christian is not a way to get into an easier life. It, Everything becomes more demanding. Everything becomes harder. You have to you have to think about every word that you say. You have to think right. about everything that you do. You well, you have to consider what's right or wrong about every decision that you make. What would God think was right to do? What should I do? You have to, it's a life of contemplation and thought and and discipline. It's not an easy life at all to do that. And that's why people don't want to do it here. Well, one of the things we we talked about Jesus saying the word that I have spoken will judge someone in the last day. He says in another place, for every idle word you speak, you will give account. You know, that that to me is a frightening scripture. To me, because if you, controlling the tongue is one of the most difficult things to do. To put the mind in gear before, before the tongue goes in gear is, is difficult for everybody. And one of the things that I fail at often, even though I try not to. And yet that is a frightening scripture that I'm going to give account for those. It is. John texts it in that um, the pastor of Life, uh, Tony Spell, the pastor at Life Tabernacle Church in Central Louisiana, has launched the hashtag Pastor Spell Stimulus Challenge, asking Americans to donate their government stimulus checks to evangelists, missionaries, and music ministers who he said, have not received offerings in over a month. Okay, well, some of them have not received offerings. If they were, if they were uh, doing what the New Testament said in the first place, they would receive offerings. If they were taking up a collection on the first day of the week, uh, as they should have, instead of trying to generate money like a business and, and figure out how to get people to give them all their money. He, he's, he goes on to say, I was hoping this pandemic would put 90% of all churches permanently out of business. Uh, I, I don't know about that. I, I don't think they're doing what God says. Uh, most of them are not about this matter. And the, the, when, when, the, when the televangelist or evangelist always has their hands out uh, trying to get money to do the next big project to build up their name and so forth, I don't think this speaks well of the church at all. And so that's a problem. Now, now we have here, we've encouraged the members who, are, who cannot come to services because of health reasons or don't, don't want to come in this situation. We're not encouraging them to come. 
that we've encouraged them to continue to give to the church because our our expenses don't change that much because we're not meeting on Sundays and Wednesdays anymore, change. or at least because <laughs> they they're not here. It doesn't change because they're not here. It doesn't change but at, all, at all, almost. On yes, and on, <laughs> but on the other hand, I know that the, many of these people don't have income right now. So, what are they supposed to give? Well, the Bible says they should give as, as they've been prospered, and if they're not prospering, then nothing is owed. The church is going to have to adjust to that over time, and these evangelists have to adjust to that fact and so forth. As but a matter of fact, so many I of them are going to try to take advantage of this now. I think there are only two qualifications to the giving. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you give as you are prospered and you give cheerfully. Those are the only two right. qualifications that I read in the text. Right. First Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver. Giver, and and uh, you give as you've been prospered. You lay it by in store or in the treasury. First uh, Corinthians sixteen and and first second Corinthians eight are the two verses. So you have this whole. Uh, once again, becoming a Christian doesn't automatically make someone not greedy, a filthy lucre. In fact, w- one of the qualifications of an elder, a true pastor in the New Testament sense, not the kind of pastors you see all around you. But a true pastor is he cannot be someone who is greedy of ill-gotten gain. You can't, you can't have a man who's concerned about money all the time and how to make money and make sure he gets, make sure they get every penny. You can't have that kind of man as a pastor in a church of Jesus Christ. But these pastors, they just set themselves up as pastors. Church, church hasn't chosen them. They set themselves up as the pastor, where in the New Testament, churches had several pastors, like you and I are. And, and uh, one of the qualifications in 1 Timothy is that they cannot be guilty of, as the King James says, filthy lucre. Modern versions say ill-gotten gain. They can't be the kind of person who are looking around under every bush for the next dollar and somehow to make that dollar. If that's their focus, they don't need to be a pastor in the church of Jesus Christ. Well, it seems to me, and, and I, I don't think that all of them do this, but basically I see the ones that are asking for money all the time. How are they getting from place to place? In their own private jet? Yes, uh, you know, I'm seeing, I'm seeing these mega churches. These people are paid uh, beyond what I think their contribution may be in many cases. Of course, and one of the qualifications, for the passage I quoted is 1 Timothy 3, verse 3, about not greedy of filthy lucre or so forth. But it's there also, right before that, it says they can't be covetous, okay? And, and that's that, that means this very thing that we're talking about of being someone who is always concerned about money. Uh, they have to be sober-minded, temperate, of good behavior, and not greedy for money, it says. What do we see? What do you, what does the world see when they look at these kind of so-called pastors? They see people who are greedy, and they got to have more. They got to wear finer clothes. Gary, there's a website. I don't know if it's still going on or not. Uh, the hashtag was uh, pastor shoes, I think. And this guy who was uh, a churchgoer. He started watching all these uh, broadcasts of these different modern preachers. You know, they come out in their little golf shirt or they haven't shaved in a week or two. And they come out in their polo shirt or their T-shirt with some fancy saying on it. And they got their jeans. He started freeze-framing these things and looking at the jeans and the shoes these guys were wearing. Trying to look like they were dressing down and they were just an ordinary person. They're just your plain old Pastor Joe, you know, hair not combed properly, you know, the typical one. And he started noticing that they had on $800 sneakers and $300 jeans. And he just, he just started putting them on his website. All of these different so-called ordinary plain pastors out there, these mega churches, had on jeans that cost 10 or 20, 30 times more than the average person could buy and shoes even more than that. And I think his website, oh, he got in a lot of, lot of heat for that because he was trying to shame servants <laughs> of the Lord and whatnot. Well, you know, if your pastor has to wear $800 sneakers, and if you think you should give, people say, well, somebody gave, he, one, well, somebody gave them to me. 
why, if you're a person in your church wants to give you $800 shoes, what do you think your reaction should be to that? Why, why don't you give me some $75 shoes and let, let's, let's do, put the rest of it somewhere do else. the rest for something else. I don't need $800 shoes, or, nor do I need $500 pair of jeans, designer cut, may, made to look like they're five years old with torn on, you know, so I can be stylish. <laughs> the job of the pastor is not to look stylish and hip, is to teach the word of God. If they went to the Bible and looked at what the qualifications of the evangelist or pastor were, they wouldn't see any of these things that they're seeing. Right. Well, before we, before we run out of time, Mike, I'd yeah. like to go back to a point you made about becoming a Christian and everything being easy and all the problems going away and all the, the stress that, that may occur from situations that we don't care to be in. I'd like to read a passage from Deuteronomy. And it refers to the children of Israel being brought into the wilderness and out of the wilderness. Okay. And and it's in Deuteronomy 8, I believe. You're wanting to think about this in relation to the current situation we're in? Well, sort or of. Sort of. Okay, all right. Uh, every commandment that I commanded you today, you must be careful to observe. He's telling the children of Israel this. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. Now, I want to say that what they did in going through the wilderness is is a symbolic application to our lives today. And that land that he promised them is symbolic in the living with God that we we look forward to in the life after this. I believe those are symbols that he used in the telling of those stories that represent those things to us where he did it for them physically, he said basically there's a spiritual application of this to us. That wandering in the wilderness is much like our lives today. And that land that we look forward to is a spiritual land with God. So he says in verse 2, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. That's the purpose of this. That's the purpose of what we're going through today. You have free will. Now, I know there's been arguments about that on this show, but this is one of the passages that, to me, tells me that we have free will because he wanted to humble you and test you so that he may know what is in your heart, whether you will keep his commandments or not. That implies to me without doubt that you have a choice in this matter. I don't see how you can take that passage any other way. Right. So when somebody tells you the Calvinist philosophy that you don't have free will, that God has decided everything, this is one of those passages that I would turn to to say that that's simply not He laid out two histories for them that were possible. One would be where they obeyed him, and he would do then in response certain things to bless them. The other was where they disobeyed, and he would do then in response to their disobedience, their freely chosen disobedience. He would lay out another path for them in history. And the, the same thing is true then individually as people. They... They are free to choose when God gives his commands and his direction, his examples. We're free to choose what we're going to do. This is the basis of character. If there's no choice, there's no such thing as character. If there's no choice, there's no really real such thing as character because character implies the choices that a person makes to live in their own life. It's the calm. It's the character is just the accumulation of a huge number of individual decisions that you've made. Exactly. That's what. That's all that integrity and character are. The, you can't change them overnight because they're the accumulation of all these choices that you've made. If, if God forces you to do everything by definition that he's in control of everything and he forces you to do either good or evil, what is the value of the good? Yeah, d- does he keep trying to influence you to do good? He does. We're not saying God has no part in this. this. But you, right. have a, you have the final choice to make. And we're about out of time. Yeah, we are. we got a minute, minute and a half but left. But I would refer, uh, maybe next week I'll read Jeremiah 18, because there's another one there. It says, That's great. The instant I speak concerning a nation 
and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up, to pull it down, to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster. And he goes on and talks about that. Yes. Well, our time is gone today. Thanks for listening to We Are Just Christians. We really appreciate it. Hope you'll tune in again next week. We'd like to invite you uh, to take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com, and hope that someday you can come and be with us here at the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. Thanks so much for tuning in, and may God bless you this week.